Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. This is Paul Carruthers, and this is the weekly Moto America podcast, Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. As I mentioned, I'm the Carruthers part. Vice is uh, in Ohio, as always. And uh, we have a guest today that we'll introduce here momentarily. But first, I'm going to have a little chat with uh, with my buddy, Sean. You doing okay back there? No weather reports. I keep getting crap about the weather reports. Not going to say a word about it. Nope, not going to say a word, although it will be hopefully sunny and no rain when we get to Daytona in within uh, now less than 60 days. So looking Yeah, forward. I think it's like 54. Four, 55, 56 days, somewhere around there. So it'll, uh, yeah, things go quickly from here on out. And before you know it, we'll be down there. But I think based on the fact that we got rain last year, I think we're going to be free and, free and clear this year. Yeah, I mean, we paid our dues. So we, we should definitely get better weather because they don't get rain that often for that week. But, you know, you always remember it. Um, so, Paul, hey, a couple things. First of all, I mean, I want to point out, we put some stuff up on social media, but I think you and I were both surprised at this little enterprise that we have here and the fact that we're in the top 10% of all Buzzsprout podcasts in, in 69 countries. So um, it's, cra it's crazy. I, I love it. I mean, people are into it, I guess. I couldn't name 69 countries. Could you? <laughs> no, that's a lot. I only knew Canada was there and I was happy about that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I was happy to see that little, uh, the little thing that they put out and, um, yeah, it's, I, I think we're doing okay. It's, it's kind of creeps up on you, you know, but, uh, yeah, people, you know, I don't think we have this massive audience. We're not Joe Rogan by any means, but I mean, when you think about it, we're only talking about motorcycle racing and most of it's Moto America. So it's, uh, it's good. I'd say it's obviously a lot of people that are that are listening or are obviously Moto America fans. And that's that's really what we worry about. So, yeah. So, you know, you're right. I mean, we usually do talk about motorcycle racing exclusively, but I have to digress a little bit because I need to tell a story at the beginning of this podcast. If you will allow me the the latitude to do that. Go for it. OK, so it actually relates to the guests that we're having on. And I won't say anything, although obviously um, when people listen to this, they know who the guest is. But um, there was this, a movie that came out in 1975, long before this guest was around. And I, I want to, Paul, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you ever seen Dog Day Afternoon? No. Okay. So that's- Is that Al Pacino? Yes. Yes. Maybe I did. You, maybe I did. You probably have seen parts of it, but I think you may know about what I'm going to talk about in this. So, so he did this movie in 75, shortly after The Godfather. And um, he had uh, one of, one of his- one of his favorite actors that he worked with, uh, the guy who plays Fredo, John Cazell, was his partner in this. And the, it was a the movie is a true story about something that happened in Brooklyn in 1972. It was a botched bank robbery, and it was one of these deals where the guy had the the best, not the best. He didn't have the best intentions, but he had a pretty simple plan for how he was going to get this money, and he had a a uh, pretty ulterior motive for what he wanted to do with the money, which is talked about in the movie, but it, it got botched. And there's one part, so it, it it advances into this situation where a lot of the cops come, the FBI comes, they're all staked out outside. He, you know, he has to take the the tellers and the manage, bank manager hostage. And it's it's actually kind of a comedy. It's, it's sort of funny about how it just kind of uh, grows and grows into this thing. But there's a scene where he comes outside to talk to the... Um, 
the the police chief who was played by Charles Durning, if anybody remembers that actor, he's pretty, pretty well-known character actor. And he brings out one of the um, tellers with him as kind of a shield, but he really didn't have her that way. So he was out there standing there and the, the police chief was trying to impress upon him that he really had no chance. And he was pointing up at the buildings and pointing behind him. And you could see there were hundreds of, you know, SWAT officers and police officers with guns pointed at him. And at one point he kept telling the guy to tell them to kind of get back with their guns and get back. And every time he would yell, the police chief would yell at these guys to get back. And all of a sudden out of the blue, um, because again, this was 1972, he started yelling this word and it had to do with something that happened in 1971, the year before that was well known in this country. He started repeating, and this may be something you remember, he started yelling, Attica, Attica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. The crowd picked up on it and they were going crazy. And it was all about the fact that Attica prison, they had this um, riot and it kind of, that was botched too. And it ended up that a bunch of prisoners uh, lost their lives in it and everything. And there were some police officers as well. So it was sort of known as a situation with that, um, that prison. And the reason I bring that up because our guest waiting in the wings, whenever I hear his name, I think of, I just always get going in my head, Attica, Attica. And I think our guest will explain, or at least he probably understands. I'm sure he understands why I think that, but when you, you introduce him, Paul, and we'll bring him in and ask him if that means anything to him. So anyway, that's my, that's my story to start today. All right. Well, our <laughs> guest today is James Raspoli. It's funny, you know, you know, a lot of people that are James go by Jim, right? For some reason, he could never be Jim. No, never, never. He's not, he's not a Jim. He's hundred percent James. But that's anyway, right. the, the, that's besides the fact. Our, our guest today is James Raspoli. Uh, obviously, he, he raced Mission King of the Baggers with us this year. He also did some Twins Cup. He finished sixth in the 2022 Mission King of the Baggers Championship with two podiums, and he did so on Advance and Hines Harley Davidson. Uh, he also had two podiums in a very limited uh, Twins Cup um, series. The series wasn't limited, but his participation in it was limited. He's a two-time super sport champion in road racing in 2011 and 2012. And that's actually when I, I got to know him as he came onto the scene as a kid, because back then super sport was sort of a, sort of a feeder series at that point. And it was designed more for, you know, young uh, sort of beginners, although they're at a higher level than, than junior cup is now, for example, he's done some BSB in both super sport and Superbike. He did Moto2, I remember, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 2013 in a one-off race. And then he keeps going back and forth to flat track. And the last title I believe he had, it was his 2020 Production Twins champion for the AFT series. So this guy's done a lot. It's surprising when I when I start to look back and, and see what somebody's done. You come across somebody like James, and I'm like, holy crap, that kid's been busy. And he seems to me like he's still a kid, and obviously he's not, because if you look at all those years he's been doing things, it's it's it adds up to quite a bit. So, James, welcome to the show. I know you're you're out in Chuckwalla, uh, I guess for the for the what for the weekend, and you're doing some Jason Pridmore uh, instructing out there. So, uh, welcome to the show, and how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Uh... Yeah, we're out here at Chuck Wallow doing some one-on-ones with JP, and we're doing, like, his new 43 Fridays. So out here in the middle of it, but I'm glad to be on. 
And like you said, Paul, yeah, it's been quite a ride. Uh, when I look back after you're just listing off some of that stuff, I'm like, man, I guess I am getting a little bit older here. And uh, <laughs> there must be, when I raced some Twins Cups last year, there was some young kids and I'm like, man, how old are you? I'm like, right. dang, like I can't get beat by you, man. Like you're too young. <laughs> but it's good though. It's good to see the crop of kids and to, to see like the series and everything coming from Europe back to America and how much it's changed. Yeah. I mean, you, you've probably noticed you've been in and out with, with Moto America since, since we got rolling, at least on some level, it's gotten quite a bit different, right? I mean, it's, I mean, I I don't want to pat our own backs, but I think we've made some huge improvements and the series is pretty, pretty strong at this point. And obviously baggers, which we'll get into shortly is, has helped that. Yeah, definitely. When I left in 2013, it was like I was probably in the worst time frame. You know, my crop of of kids was just missed the heyday of the payday um, where all the factory seats kind of were gone. And it was the start of outside sponsorship and, you know, the big push on contingency. Uh, And we did pretty well myself and like Sequoia Alexander and whatnot, that crop. But I went overseas. And then when I came back, it was really cool to see uh, the, the big social media presence, the paddock, the life, you know, when I left, it was starting to dwindle in fans. And now to see like road America, road Atlanta have such a big fan base. That's really, really cool. I mean, I feel like the last time I saw a really big fan base was like somewhere like mid Ohio, you know? Uh, so no, it's been really, really good. It's good to come back. I've always wanted to come back and, uh, you know, get my feet wet a little bit different to be on, um, the, the motorcycle I am versus being on a bike that maybe I've, you know, like a 600 super bike, but you know, nonetheless, I'm happy to be back in the series and continue racing. Yeah. I mean, your pathway has been different James up through, but uh, one of the things I remember, there's a, a distinction about you with regard to super sport is I'm pretty sure that you're the only one that ever won a super sport East and a super sport West uh, championship back to back. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah that yeah we chose to stay down and then move up in 2013 so yeah i'm pretty sure nobody was able to do that again i don't th- i think the east west thing went away shortly after though yeah you you found a niche there and made it happen so um but anyway hey before i go too far uh have you ever chanted attica attica and do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah so like i lived in attica for five years so i know exactly what you're talking about um we the prison pretty much was you don't really go by it, but yeah, it's a, it's a max prison and they uh, pretty much employ a lot of the town. Now, were, you, were you born in Attica? I thought that's where you started out. Am I wrong? Yeah. So I grew up at, born and raised in Londonderry, New Hampshire, and then moved to New York and then Florida, Europe, Florida. So it's kind of my movements. Okay. I have it backwards, but Paul, I have to digress again for a minute. I told, I told James this one time, at mid Ohio. And I don't think he remembers. I actually thought you moved to Lindenberry afterwards, but um, so you, you are originally from New Hampshire, unlike me who was born in New York and moved to New Hampshire, but my wife was the seventh grade language arts teacher at Lindenberry. I'm pretty sure when you went to school there, cause um, I think Gene Connolly was the president. This was a while ago, but who was you? Do you remember who your seventh grade language mm-hmm. arts teacher was? That's a long I time. Def- yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> honestly that would have been that would be crazy though i mean damn sean's I, I'm bringing a, it all together <laughs> dude it's full circle <laughs> well it's funny because you know i'm sure you know you were probably were you living in 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 london new hampshire at the same time that jason ruth here i mean he's i think he i don't know if he still lives there but he did 
from Ducati? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I used to ride uh, YSRs. He's the, he he let me ride his YSR to start, and that's kind of how I started dabbling in a little bit of asphalt is through him. He had all the like a collection of like what twenty of them or something, all pristine. And we used to go to this little go kart track, and all these like uh, you know adults at the time. I was a kid, and we used to just go like race. And it was quite funny. And he let us uh, borrow one, and then we ended up getting one after that. But yeah, that's how I met Jason. And uh, I don't know where he lives now, but. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not sure. I think he might still live there, but I'm not sure. However, he, he does. Well, my wife does remember having him. So I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure that she ever had you, but Jason's a little younger than you, isn't he? A little bit. No. Oh, okay. No, wait, maybe we're. Is he older? He's older than I. Yeah. Older than I am. Oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Sorry. I meant older because, because <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Maybe by the time you went to Londonderry, it might've been when we had moved out, but anyway, I'll get it. I'll get past that. I just always thought that was cool that, uh, you know, and that's how I had it backwards. The other thing I know that you started out flat tracking and that's why I thought you were originally from Attica because I thought that's why you flat tracked where like, obviously Jason DeSalvo and, a lot of the guys from central New York have, have done a lot there and, and still do. So um, did you, did you learn to flat track when you're in New Hampshire or did you pick it up when you moved to New York? Yeah. So it was in New Hampshire. I pretty much grew up. Um, I was a, kind of a late bloomer, to be honest. Like I rode a 50 until I was 10 years old. I had, uh, you know, a JR, a Lem, a Z50, a Polini. Like I had all the 50 CC bikes uh, and then I moved up to 65 and this was all in dirt track year. And I was late because I went kind of supermoto and not actually like jumping supermoto. I just went and rode my supermoto at like Beaver Run before it was pit race, things of that nature. And oh, wow. yeah, so in the Weir series uh, with like Scott Rosie and stuff like that, he let me use his uh, like SV650 and I was kind of borrowing stuff at the time before and I was going up the dirt track ranks and it was always like the path of like the Nikki Hayden path where you would switch and go road racing. But I was late. It was like 17, 18 before I got on a 600 and started my road race career. So like really started it. I never did one, two fives. I remember I, I was horrible on a one, two, five GP when I did that, the Spain, the, the rookies cup deal, I got smoked at the Valencia tryout, uh, the USGPRU, I believe. And I, got smoked there i was just i was already moving into four strokes and stuff like that so the one two fives were really really hard when i got on a 600 i gelled like crazy with it it was a bigger bike you could use the power and stuff like that and then i started doing quite well on the on the weir side and then i transitioned then to go road racing and try to chase a little bit I wouldn't say money at the time but there's more opportunity did you ever um do any racing up at loudon or take the penguin school or anything like that so, yeah, I grew up there, but I didn't do a ton of riding there. We were always traveling outside. We noticed that, like, uh, my it was like a decision my dad made, but he was always a believer of traveling and going to race people that you, you know, you're not your local home. And to be honest, like, I never really did a lot of laps at Loudoun. It's funny because Loudoun has a huge race coming up now, and, every, like, I'm getting multiple texts from tons of people because uh, it still says London Day, New Hampshire on one of my sheets somewhere like in, in dirt track or something. So everyone's like, are you coming hometown? And I'm like, 
dude, I haven't rode there. Like, I want to get smoked. Like, Narbonne's the legend there now. Like, I am not going to do anything. Like, <laughs> it's all right, James. I think one of the, let's let's talk about for, before we get started and go over or go backwards or go forwards, whatever we decide to do. Yeah, let's talk about you have a new. Well, you don't have a new deal, but you have a new deal with next year's mission king of the baggers championship why don't you tell us exactly what your plan is for 2023 yeah so it's probably definitely one of the worst kept secrets but i'm gonna ride for vance and hines again next year in the mission king of the baggers last year they i was a late sign for them and uh it was part of one of my uh classes that i rode and then we did really well last year so that's the, that's the what we're doing next year is just doing that full focus trying to win the championship um and yeah i mean like the way this class is developing like there's some big hitters and there's i hear the rumors are there's some more guys coming in and i'm i expect the class to get even faster now everybody we talk to on the show off the show that rides baggers races baggers just raves about how fun the racing is how how much better the bikes are than what people would think they are and you're in agreement with all that, right? Yeah. So, like, when I first heard about the bagger deal and saw it at Laguna, I was like, mm, I don't know, man. This thing's kind of lame. I'm not into it. And then to see the development happen pretty quick uh, and then see Kyle's, like, times and then to be able to ride one, I was like, whoa, this is – I was clearly one of the guys that was like, mm, yeah, I'm not about this. But I rode the bike and I was like, okay, this is pretty fun. <laughs> And the other thing is, is like everybody in the class from last year was like a top doer. You know, they're old boys like Kyle, Travis, you know, Bobby, Tyler, like they're old guys. They've all done some stuff. So like nobody's sketchy. Like there's no like whippersnappers in there trying to, you know, cut you up. Everybody's pretty seasoned. So like the racing was hard, like super hard, but like so good um, and super clean. But you just expected like you just know what you're getting. So I think that that helped a lot with the series. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if we can keep tightening it up, it's just going to get more racy and what we're doing on these bikes and the technology that's going into them is insane. And I mean, realistically compared to motocross, this is like really the, you know, a direct to consumer kind of deal. So it's pretty cool to see, uh, two big V twin, uh, manufacturers going head to head. And I think it's, it, well, I, I don't think, I know it's important to Moto America to keep the parody uh to keep the parody in the class and i think they'd also they also realize that like the vance and heinz harley is a little bit of a step down than the factory harley but that's going to change you're going to have more parts available etc cetera, etc cetera. do you i mean you obviously noticed that their bikes were just you know a little bit better than what you had and that's i mean is that frustrating is, and do you see that getting better yeah, 100%. It's super frustrating going to the race every weekend knowing you really don't have a shot at winning sucks. But, uh, you know, you got to pay your dues somewhere. They We worked so hard last year. Everybody could see it, you know, last year. The Factory Indian was the fastest bike on the track. Then Factory Harley decided to step up, and they got their stuff started where they became really, really competitive on the straights. And we just didn't have that jump. Um, and it was super clear towards the end of the year where we were just losing on pure horsepower. But the good thing is, is we, we developed our chassis. And um, like you said, the, the rules are changing a little bit. There's going to be some more parity and it's got to be, we can't have just four guys, you know, we need to have six guys or whatever um, on competitive bikes there. And we need to have non-factory bikes be able to at least have a shot at winning. 
right? Because then what's what's the point, right? It gets there's no point. So I think that's going to change. I think you know I know Vance and Hines has been working their butts off. Um, I know that everybody in the series knows it can't be just a two horse race between Factory Indian Factory Harley. Um, we need some in, independent teams, and uh, you know the 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 level of talent can do the job. So I think some more supplies is getting sent around and I expect it to be closer, but you know, they're not factory for a reason, you know? So I know they're, they're working as well. So it's going to be one of those deals where I think Daytona is going to be another absolute crapshoot. And then as the season rolls on and we've got more races this year, developments are going to go in certain ways and, you know, we'll just have to keep figuring out. It's a class so new that there's so much development going on that every time, every weekend you look like somebody's brought something to try. So it's kind of crazy. Well, one of the things really cool about Vance and Hines, and we had Terry on um, maybe last year or the year before, I don't remember, but we got to talk to him a lot about the legacy that he has and Vance and Hines has in, in road racing, which, you know, as years have gone by, people maybe don't realize it as much, but, you know, they want to, they want a super bike championship and, and they've done a good job, obviously with V twin development over the years. So unlike unlike a little bit with Harley where Kyle and, and Travis go to the factory and basically say, make us this. And sometimes, you know, if it pr- proves to be good, they, they might offer it as a part uh, aftermarket part through their screaming Eagle catalog or whatever. Has any of that gone on with Vance and Hines with regard to things you have developed, whether it's the pipe or anything else that is, is Vance and Hines offering anything that's an offshoot of what you, what you've kind of proven or tested on the track in King of the Baggers. Yeah, I mean, listen, Vance and Hines is a very, very capable company, and they've got a ton of capabilities that they can do. It's really just comes down to, right, I mean, if Factory Harley are going to do the work and they're still the top dog, like, why wouldn't we try to look and copy? That's how you get there the quickest. Now, when we do, like, certain things, ergonomics and, you know, foot, feet, uh, positions and different things, like, Vance and Hines is fully capable of doing that. And there is definitely stuff that when we look at, uh, you know, power related or things of that nature. I mean, they're a powerhouse. So of course they are able to fine tune those things and they're doing that. Um, but it's, I think it's super hard to, you know, you're going against a factory. That's all they do. Right. And Vans and Hines is stepping into it. And um, even though they have the capabilities, it's time, right. They're still running a full-time company. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that's super tough. So yeah, I, in short, they definitely do. I can request whatever I want. Does it get done as quick? You know, when you're going against a factory and that's all they focus on, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tough to be on the same timeline, but uh, these guys, I, all I can say is these guys are super committed. They, they want to win. They won the championship with Jesse Janis last year. And that I think they want to continue that success. I think they've got their, their big bug you know, it's been a while since they won a championship and I don't think they want to not be on the podium anymore. So like, I'm pretty sure all the guys are like, Hey, we got to keep this up. We got to grind. And, you know, for myself, I'm training like I was when I, in super sport in British, you know, this is the baggers is, hasn't turned into, Hey, you know, let's drink a beer and this, that, and the other, and have some fun. It's like an actual real series with a lot of money on the line with a lot of people spending a shitload of money. So like, you've got to take it serious. Yeah, James. So for, for your bike with your, I'm, I just, I'm just going to say it with your size um, on a bike like that. I mean, the bike is huge. So how are the ergonomics <laughs> of your bike? And I mean, 
you know, you're talking about training, but muscling it around the turns or just, you know, starting off. I mean, you probably, you probably can't, you have, can only get one, keep one foot down, right? When you start off. Yeah, man, I need a step, step stool to get on the thing. It's like, it literally the worst time on the bagger is trying to leave the pit. Like at Laguna, when there's so many fans there, I'm like, once I roll, if you're in the way, sorry, you're a hazard. I'm running you over because I cannot stop. Like when Travis lifted that thing after he crashed in New Jersey, like he must have pulled some freaking energy from his ancestors because those things are heavy in the wet. Like there's no chance I'm lifting that thing up. And uh, yeah, they're super tall and they keep getting taller. Uh, It's difficult like on the starting line swapping feet and things of that nature but once you're riding surprisingly they're like so nimble i tell this to everybody you don't notice the weight at all until you run off the track if you run off the track you know you've got 630 pounds and it's impossible to really do anything with it so if you go off the track it's it's kind of ride it out because there's a lot of weight there but when you're on it when you're on the asphalt they're super nimble um, you can break so deep on these things. Like it's insane. And you can, I tell this to everybody as well Is like, you can just ride over the limit so far over the limit. It's crazy. Uh, and it's like, they just like ride themselves out. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And the more you ride them, the more you push it. And it's like, I don't think we've seen a limit anywhere we've gone yet. Well, I'm glad you pointed out that thing with, um, with Travis, because I'll tell you something that's incredible that, uh, we said the same thing. It was in the rain and how did, how he even had the footing to be able to lever that thing off the ground. But yeah, I think maybe he, he, uh, invoked every bit of his Harley Davidson heritage with his (laughs) grandfather's dealership in Macedon, New York to get that to happen. But, but he managed to do it when, when you're, when you're on the bike and being that you, you've done supermoto and you've flat tracked for a lot. The bike, the bike, does the bike get loose in the rear end? I mean, can you, can you steer it at all? Like a flat tracker or is it just, it goes where it goes? No, definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was, you know, able to be really quick on the Vanson Hines bike last year without having quite the, you know, the full factory package is I was super loose on it. Now, normally you don't want to be as loose as that. It's like the loose you are, you're putting more risk in, but you know, it's the way I pretty much had to ride the bike. I had to ride it so much because i'm making so much down this up on the straightaways and the braking zones and having to get on the gas a little earlier so it's causing such a big transfer of weight from front to rear all the time that it's causing this big uh you know slide in the rear backing it in sliding on the way out like it's moving all the time you know and it's exciting so for me it's like they move around a lot they wiggle a lot but once you get past that they're pretty good and you can definitely steer with the rear like it's certain tracks like Laguna last year was kind of crazy. Um, like everybody that I talked to was like, had no grip. Like we had like one lap of grip. And even though the races are so short, it was like, we're all just like so sideways everywhere. And it just goes like track to track. And I think like even Dunlop and stuff like that, like the tires aren't technically made for 630 pounds and the amount of force going through them and how much tire pressure or how much air they, uh, you know, raises in. Uh, with the rear tire getting so hot so quick with so much load. I mean, I think everybody's learning and it's, you know, it's just one of those things like who's willing to just be over the limit for that little bit longer, you know? And uh, it, I can tell you right now, they're just, it's a blast to ride. And it's every time I get off, I'm like, 
I tell Terry this every time, I'm like, dude, there's no way I can go any faster. And then I go out <laughs> and I'm like, hey, dude, next time I go out, I come in and he's like, that was a good session. I'm like, dude, seriously, this time there's no freaking way I can go any faster. I'm on the absolute limit. <laughs> like, it's insane. You just, you just keep getting faster. It's crazy. <laughs> well, before we got started on the show, we talked a little bit about Twins Cup as well. And you told us that you wouldn't be doing, you wouldn't be doing any of that this year. And and that was a time when you were racing with some whippersnappers, by the way. What <laughs> did, does this mean? Um, is there any dirt track for this year? Or are you done with that as well? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be doing any dirt track this year either. The, the deal that was presented to me is pretty good. And we want to focus on trying to win the championship. And, you know, the biggest goal is we want to have Harley lockout every weekend. You know, we want Harleys to be, if it can't be me, it needs to be another Harley. If it can't be a factory, it needs to be me. So, um, that's the whole goal this year. Uh, everybody's stepping up. I think everybody's pretty much going in our camp, at least like, you know, it's a Harley at all costs kind of deal. So you're a factory Vance and Hines, Harley Davidson rider. And on the weekends, you might do some open houses every once in a while. Cause you're also a real estate agent. Dude, I'm just hawking houses, bro. That's what I'm doing right now. Just, just stay afloat, you know? So, I mean, you could, those are your words, factory Vance and Hines, whatever. So uh, I arrived at Vance and Hines. I think there's some Harley support. They've got such a good relationship. And yeah, we'll try to sell some houses. So if you're in Florida, hit the big dog up. How's the, uh, and, and where in Florida are you? Yeah, so I'm in uh, Volusia County, which is like uh, right in between Daytona to Orlando, is kind of where I house, but I do a lot of my business near the beach. Like, of course, it's, you know, Port Orange, Daytona, New Smyrna, um, all those areas. Now, are you, I'm, I'm always interested in real estate for obvious reasons, but mm. is, does, do you, are you part of a group or are you on your own? So I'm a part of a group because my father, Jen and my father are in uh, their real estate in oh, Fort Myers. So cool. yeah, yeah. So I'm a part of their broker, Remax Anchor, uh, but I'm in three hours from them on the east side. So I'm technically by myself, starting by myself, but I've got like, you know, all their experience. They've been in the business for, I think, 13 years. You know, they do quite a bit of business. So, like, I've got a good backing, but it's like hustling for sponsorship, you know? Like, I don't have a broker in my area to go, hey, can I do some open houses here, that, and the other? So, it's definitely a lot tougher, but, you know, I'm a little different breed anyway. So, I'm attacking it a little different. A lot of my clients are coming from racing, you know, like that want some Airbnbs and things of that nature and some investors. And then, you know, it's just growing as it would normally. And to do it part-time, doing pretty well, but I want to step it up a little bit more. And as my career starts to wind down a little bit, I want to ramp that up so I'm not left, you know, like a lot of racers are left with nothing, you know? Right. And that referral list, I mean, the, the referrals I think is key. Huge. It's huge. And, you know, Florida is so hot right now. It's, it's pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, I, I hope it works out and it's just something that's dabbling there. But at the moment, like I've always told myself, if I'm competitive in racing, if I'm still at the front, no matter what, if we could be racing scooters, like I don't care what it is, but if I'm competitive, like I want to still race. If I'm not competitive the day I, I go, you know what, this young whippersnapper is hanging it out and I don't want to do it. Then it's probably from, you know, I got to hang the boots up. Like if I don't want to hang it out anymore, there's probably no point in me racing. Right. 
James, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how many people know this. There's been some time that's passed and you were away from our series for a little bit and away from even, even this country for a while. So I want to ask you, why do you run the number 43? Yeah. So I was always 71 um, in dirt track. And then I was, I met Jay, JP through the Jordan guys at mid Ohio. And I pretty much went to every star school. And then that year going into super sport, I was like, Hey, can I run the 43? Um, you know, four plus three, seven, four minus three is one. It kind of ties back in and that's kind of how we started it. And then we, I, I've only won my championships with the number 43. Like anytime I've ever run 71, I've pretty had a pretty dismal year. So I don't know. You call it lucky superstition, whatever you want to do, but it's been a really good number. I've got a lot of loyalty to Jay because without him and what they did for me in star school, I was a seventh place guy. And yeah, I had a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, work ethic, but without the coaching and being able the access to being able to go to his schools, I think I did like 27 schools the year from uh, 2010 to 2011. And then I went out and just won a championship. And I think it was pretty unexpected. And then to back it up and destroy him in 2012, I think again, it was unexpected. So you know, without that whole thing, I kind of just have a lot of loyalty to it. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, now just taking over the 43. So taking it over. Yeah. It's funny. I actually didn't know. I knew it was because of Jason Pridmore uh, for sure. Cause I, I remember in the early days, you guys would talk a lot and sit together and everything, but I didn't realize you went to so many schools. So my gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've learned a lot from that guy then. Yeah. I mean, it's like to a point you would say uh, it's like, you know, I'm one of the OGs, uh, you know, when we instruct, I'm kind of like Corey, myself, like we've brought up through the crop with Jay. Um, and it's really good. He taught me how to teach and how to understand what I'm doing on the bike. And that's just helped me a lot when I went overseas, right. When I was over there and, and BSB, like I didn't have anybody and it was really difficult. My first year there, um, showing up at these tracks that are just wild. Like if anybody goes to BSB, I think it's like a dream killer for any guy that's in the world championship. I mean, it is, there's, it is such a unique niche series where it's like the tracks are insanely hard. Like it took me four years to figure out Olden park. There's just so many bumps, so much undulation. It's like, you can't set your bike up because there's so much like bumps and just uh, like the suspension, you can only set it up for so many certain spots. And it's like, it was really, really difficult. And I would say like, I almost didn't make it the first year, you know, and it was pretty crazy, but you know, all the experience I had helped me fight through that. And to be able to stay there for five years, I think a lot of people go over there and anybody that goes to to Europe, even though I was in England of all places, they spoke English and you know, the food was relatively the same. It's like, man, I was on different side of the world. Nobody's up. You got no friends. It's on the other end. It's, It's really difficult. It's really mentally taxing to try to make it in a different country. You know, one of the things though, about being over there, James, I mean, you, you say, you know, no friends and and I, I know, and I cer- certainly could, could see that you had a lot of fans over there. I mean, everybody really kind of uh, latched onto you and understood you, you know, your character, the type of person you are and how you would celebrate on the podium. The British fans really took to you, didn't they? Oh yeah, man. It was, and a lot of that was through Keith Flint. You know, I wouldn't really have the opportunity without Keith, and I got that kind of on the final hour when the Jordan thing collapsed. Uh, and 
it was crazy. Like as soon as Keith pretty much took me in, it was like the UK fans and the, and, you know, treated me like family, you know, cause he's such a superstar was a superstar over there. And without that, I don't know if I would have made it with the fans, but the podiums helped a ton. Once I got on the podium, was able to get in front of the camera. He taught me a lot how to be a showman and to talk through the camera to the fans. And that was one thing he was really able to teach me as, you know, he was being, you know, a musical artist and, you know, connecting with fans. Uh, that was something I was really able to take from that. And it was, uh, it was crazy. I remember the, like my second year in TGC, I had like a stand full of foam fingers at Brands Hatch. And like, I had, you know, full merch stands, like for whatever reason, it's just a different world over there. Like you go into a pub and people got Tyco or, uh, you know, Paul Bird stuff or, um, you know, the, the other teams like jackets on it over here. You just don't get that. It's just a different culture. So it was kind of crazy to take to them and to have them like accept me as, you know, an American, but I think the, you know, I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, wild on the podiums and things of that nature and maybe a little bit more charismatic is the right word. And I think that helped a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely did. Um, do you think of yourself as a flat track racer who does road racing or a road racer who did flat track or how do you, how would you define yourself if you had to, if you had to? It's funny you ask that because I would say three years ago, definitely I was a road racer that had some flat track, but now like that I've gone back and done some dirt track and won a championship pretty late in my career, um, the one thing I'll say is you can't really take road racing so much, maybe now in dirt track, but you couldn't really take a lot of road racing skills into dirt track 10 years ago. But now with electronics and things, I think that's helped. That helped me so much win my championship over there. So I think they go hand in hand, but I still would favor me on the road race side. Um, I think I got spoiled being a road racer. I don't really like getting dirty, like going to Lima, getting smoked. Every piece of leather and bike is roached. That doesn't, <laughs> I love the racing and I love riding it, but like if I could just throw all that stuff away, that'd be great. And I think I'm spoiled as a road racer and I, you know, I like champagne versus beer. So uh, I would say I'm a road race guy. (laughs) That's not the first uh, person we've heard say that. I mean, we've had a couple of people that are, um, that have done, you know, motocross and they were saying, you know, I just don't like getting dirty as much. I like road racing because, you know, it's a cleaner sport. And like you said, so that's, that's interesting to hear you say that. And I've always thought of you, I think, as a road racer, just because even though I know you did it when you were younger, um, you started out road racing pretty young, too, with that super sport, East and West. And um, even when and then, of course, when you're over in, in Europe. So when you came back, it didn't surprise me that you did flat track. But um, but for sure, um, I thought I hope that you would eventually move back into road racing. Why did you why did you go into flat track for a amount of time? You had an opportunity actually i didn't i had no opportunities and that was the crazy thing it was like on the final hour in 2018 i got fourth in the championship in super sport had six or seven podiums there and 2019 i was gonna ride for the same team some stuff went south as it does you know with sponsorship dollars and especially not being native to the country i kind of got left a little bit and over there everything gets signed so early so i came back here and i had nothing man i was trying to fight for that m4 deal bobby got it um and a couple other deals and I really didn't have anything and I was out outside of the U.S. for so long it was really tough to find something um crazy enough like my buddy 
Corey Alexander at the same time didn't really have much and he was kind of restarting his program and we decided hit uh, Hudson Valley and Corey, we pretty much put together like a small Kawasaki deal. He, they let, lent me a motorcycle um, for the year. We built it. My buddy from the, the movies, Kieran Clark, pretty much bought the motorcycle for me and all the parts. And we went and tried to do some dirt track races and I got smoked early on. And I got finally was able to get that in the middle of the season. There was a Harley deal up for grabs. And the Harley wasn't very good at the moment. And I just took it and and it kind of just worked out. I used the, the sport changed and I could use a lot of the electronic stuff that I learned in road racing, was able to make that motorcycle a lot better. And just all about timing. I went to a test with Vance and Hines, rode all the all their bikes and was helping with them with electronics and then kind of just got to know those guys. And then the following year, George Latis, crazy enough, full circle, in 2013, I was I had an offer from George, and then I went with the Jordan offer um, instead. And kind of ten years later, I signed for George, and we won a championship. So it's kind of crazy how it all happened, and it really was just timing and opportunity with not really having the lack of you know opportunities in road racing. And I always told myself I wanted to get back into it, and the bagger thing really kind of helped me just dip my toe back in and get in the, the paddock again, you know? And I feel like once I was in the paddock, people started to, Oh yeah, Rispoli, you know? Yeah. It's been a, it's been a while. And then saw me ride again and hanging it out and I'm exciting and whatnot. And I think it just spurred a little bit, uh, jog some memory of some of the old guys that were in the paddock. And, you know, there's a lot of so many new faces that I don't even know. So it's, it's been a full turn of events, but I'm just happy to be back road racing, happy to be in America and, you know, hopefully the bagger thing can lead into something. Hopefully the baggers race for another 10 years. If not, I can jump on uh, another motorcycle in the future and continue and, you know, maybe win another super sport championship or something. You know, Sean, he, um, James gave Pridmore some credit for his success and, and rightfully so that, you know, I think Jason kind of knows a little bit about the sport, but I, I think if he thought back hard enough, he'd probably realize that, a lot of his learning came from spending four days with me at the uh, Colin Edwards boot camp in, oh. in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> me, you, and Bradley. Yeah. So it was it was yeah. funny because it was me, James, and Bradley Smith, and we just had the best time. I mean, other than like the most severe case of monkey butt I've ever had in my life from riding a motorcycle. <laughs> it's probably more than I've ridden a motorcycle combined in my whole life. But over, I think it was it was at least three days. It was probably four. And by yeah. the end of the day, you're just so <laughs> freaking sore and over it. But we we really had a good time, and uh, and all it was is racing around for all those days on on little mini bikes. And it's amazing how how good it is for your riding and and how much fun it is. Yeah, I mean that was a blast, right, Chad? <laughs> I think it was awesome, and we we uh, oh yeah we had a. <laughs> <laughs> so we one on on the last night we went out and were overserved at some honky tonk bar in Texas or whatever and and I had a little moment where I turned into Chad Reed and I had my ears tucked in my hat and I was doing my Australian Chad Reed impersonation and and it, the name kind of stuck every time James sees me he calls me Ch Chad Reed. Oh man. Yeah. So anyways, that it's been, it's been a, it's been a ride. 
you know, when I look back on my career, I go, holy crap, there's been a, a ton of stuff that I've done and I've rode a lot of motorcycles. So I'm, my goal is to continue as long as I'm competitive because to stay riding. And I think uh, the way the series is and the way everything is, it's, you know, probably going to prolong my career for some, you know, some time. So, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, baggers came along at a perfect time for you. Dude. Perfect. And I, you know, literally after winning the championship with Harley and then ride for Harley having one day off and then being um, stuck in and then being stuck, like kind of right where the Harleys came in, it was like perfect timing for me. And I think that they, you know, even with having the flat track thing, the way that you ride those bikes, like you can get so loose on them. And I just think you're right. It's just been a perfect thing for me to kind of transition back into road racing. You know, James, we're going to wrap up here, but I, I did want to, um, Paul knows I do this fair, a fair amount with the riders' parents, but I want to give a shout out to your dad, Phil. Um, I was pretty impressed when I saw him at, at uh, Brainerd um, when you were, came in the medical center and I got had a chance to talk to him and I was surprised I hadn't seen him for years and I, I was surprised he even remembered who I was. So he's really good about that stuff. But one of the things I remember, and this is something I wanted to ask you too, is that I think Brainerd is when you, you would hurt your wrist. Is your wrist good? to go now yeah actually i two of my fingers i like uh road rashed off like the skin of them but they're all good now everything's fine i'm 100 healthy but oh it's your fingers not your wrist okay yeah I, and it happened at brainerd right i remember you were it yeah early yeah yeah turn one i high-sided on the twin crazy enough uh yeah so yeah i mean i'm 100 healthy and going to your point yeah factory phil's doing well he's lost a lot of weight he's been on the grind hard yeah he looks great he looks fantastic mm, uh, yeah i was really impressed when i saw him so he's a good guy um yeah, sure. he's done a lot i mean marketing wise i wouldn't be where i'm at without him you know like back in the day when social media wasn't really a thing and uh it was flat flat track forums or you know press releases he was the king of the press release you could still but, type my name into google and you got 200 pages of Raspoli press releases from factory Phil. So I don't mm -hmm. think I would have near the brand without him. Yeah. He's a good guy. So shout out to him. So, all right. So we're, we're going to, you know, seems like we talked to a fair number of riders who are at Chuck wall and that's your situation. So we know you're itching to get back out on the track. So we'll let you do that. But James, thank you for being on with us. I mean, it's high time we had you on. So it's good that we got you on. So you can talk about your program this year. We're going to uh, enjoy watching you with the extra rounds and races this year, being on the track more in mission King of the baggers on that Vance and Hines, Harley Davidson. So um, it's going to be fun to watch and you're, you're a fan favorite. So we know the fans will enjoy it too, but yeah, thanks again for being on with us. Yeah, no problem. And I got to do a little shameless shout out me and my sure. buddy, Corey Alexander, we're starting a podcast ourselves. So they got for <laughs> pipe dreams coming out, you know, we're going to be competitors now. No, it's, it's good though. I think like all, you know, different podcasts and things I can all help each other. And sure. I think your, your guys podcast is really, really good. I listen to it all the time. And I think, uh, you know, the sport, it's just helped it bubble out. And I think, you know, the more that people talk about it, like the seeing it on Joe Rogan was so cool. Uh, and I think that the sport is just bubbling out, like I said. So thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been awesome. And I can't wait to see you guys at the first round. Yeah, looking forward to it. So I'm just going to close out by mentioning to everybody, I had done a story earlier this week about the need for corner marshals at our, our races. And James can uh, back up the fact that corner workers and corner marshals are so important to the sport. Right, James? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the more we can have 
is be crucial. So in qualified corner workers, it's, you know, it's crucial when I crashed at Brainerd, it's, it's good to have some people around at least to just help. And uh, yeah, crucial for the sport. Yeah. And we can never have enough as David Hawley, our, our, our chief marshal says. So if you go to Moto America volunteers, um, on Facebook, you'll have there is information there and a link to go to Motorsports Reg where you can sign up to be part of it. And uh, you know anybody from people with no experience to people with experience. Um, and once you do a weekend, you do get experience, but they put you where you're needed. And and as I said, there are never enough. And and every rider loves it. And I always say it's the best seat in the house. And the riders appreciate you guys and give you the thumbs up. So be a part of it, especially starting at Daytona because that won't be long. Um, and, and we'll need people for that as well as our other rounds. So again, uh, James, thanks for being on and thanks everybody for listening to this episode. See you. Thanks Paul. James. See you guys. Thank you. Cheers.